0: Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friend, Corey, at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you.
1: for surprises, Contessa. So are you, Mr. Bond?
0: Do you always arm yourself for a rendezvous?
1: Occasionally, I seem to be excellent, prone. Gabe Crusher. Mark Arndt Straco, head of the Union Court. I will to the races file. There. Tracy, she needs help. Your help. Where is Aunt Stavro Blofeld? Blofeld? I wouldn't
2: tell Her Majesty's Secret Service, that I might tell my future son-in-law. I suggest you revise the terms of your contract, Mr. Bond. You'll find your liability far too expensive.
1: I was always taught that mistakes should be remedied, especially between lovers. Mr. Bond, is in love with you? You've got sharp eyes and beautiful... ...leolos. The, the information that I now possess, the scientific means to control or to destroy the economy of the whole world. I have been training my own special angels of death. I mean what I say, and I'll do what I claim. Tracy? Nathan shouldn't be concerned with anything but himself. We just have to go on the way we are. I'd love you. Now we have all the time in the world. The girl who helped me escape, we just leave her there. This department owes her a debt. I have my orders, and you have yours. Oh, Drucker, I'd like to interest you in a demolition deal.
2: An open sky A streak of grey And a cheerful
1: A loop A whirl And a vertical climb And once again You'll know it's time For the adventures of Rocky and Bullwinkle And friends Starring that Supersonic speedster Rocket J. Squirrel With his pal Bullwinkle the moose And a host of others Hurry Bullwinkle The show's about to start I'm coming as fast as I can. Wait to the people. Yay! Now what are you doing? Signing autographs. This is John Smith. But your name is Bullwinkle. I know, but that's hard to spell.
2: This is Alan Bacadenae, elderly racer and raconteur, and you're listening to Nostalgic
1: Radio and Cars.
0: <laughs> okay, listeners, well, so welcome you're tuning into Nostalgic Radio and Cars. And I'm your show host, Robert. <laughs> Run your computers and Google, Tantalk1340.com. You can see us live here on the studios. And don't forget to check out our website, GulfstreamBloodersports.com, where you can find out all about us. And if you've missed any more past shows, don't forget to check out Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Did I say that right, Bobby? Good evening. You did. Good evening. And, Tommy, how you doing there behind the uh, trusty, clear... Clean COVID bubble. 2020, 2020 bubble. Yeah. <laughs> His bubble. Yeah. I'm going to say a big shout out to my good friend uh, Kenny Abner. He's listening right now. Always the first one on the yep, he's a, And yes, everything's sanitized, Kenny. Don't worry about that. Oh, how's yes. That? They've been watching me for about the last five <laughs> minutes. And how's that uh, Camaro run in there? So, uh, anyway, now we played uh, on James Bond uh, clip, and it was actually in Her, Majesty, in Her Majesty's Secret Service, which. When I was a kid, I was I lived overseas, and I saw that movie in 1969, and the debate has always been out whether Sean Connery, obviously, is the best James Bond, but how well a job that uh, George Lasonby did, and actually, George did a very good job. Now, that's one of my favorite movies, the James Bond movies, mainly because there was a 69 Cougar 428 Cobra Jet Convertible in there, and... By coincidence, you know, whenever I'm prepping for the show, I try to kind of tie everything in together. By coincidence, that particular Cougar, one of the, the uh, film cars, is being auctioned off by Bonhams. So if you Google James Bond 1969 Cougar uh, in Her Majesty's Secret Service, you can bid on that car. And I think the estimate on the car is somewhere around 250000 So if... Uh, the attractive and always elegant Miss Emma Peel, or in this particular case, Diana Riggs, or Contessa Teresa, uh, was driving that car, then that was, and, and both George Lazenby was in it, that that's obviously a real true collector's piece in a movie car. Uh, the other James Bond movie that I liked a lot, which is one of my favorites, which was the last real Sean Connery one with uh, Cubby Broccoli and, and Salsman, and that was uh, Diamonds Are Forever. And that movie, they used a 71-429 Cobra Jet Mach 1. Now, strange story. Fast forward, I'll keep it short because we got a great guest coming on for you this afternoon. I don't want to keep him waiting too much longer. But uh, that particular car was actually found in San Francisco in a storage lot. If you go Google James Bond cars, you'll find a picture of it. And I happened to know the guy that, bought that found that car, and the debate was out whether that was the real one, but he had all the paperwork and found that it was you know, owned by United, uh, Universal, U- U- United Artists. And it was delivered to uh, a dealership in Las Vegas, and that's where the car was prepped for the film. I think there was two or three of them, but that's the one that they showed the scene where James Bond was driving the car uh, on, the Hollywood, on the Las Vegas Strip and so forth. But anyway, that was, that was pretty cool. So, and then, of course, uh, we now have the distinction of of we've always kind of exported cars a little bit. But now we have the distinction of saying that we are tied in with the Russians because we have now sold MGB to KGB. Sorry, Bill. (laughs) MGB go to uh, Moscow. And uh, nice guys. Uh, you know, they're the you know it's the Everybody and, from the Transporter. Oh, yeah, everybody it was really cool. So uh, this was an interesting deal, and uh, you know, there's a, the European cars are real popular over there, particularly in Europe, naturally, and uh, so this thing's going a little further than the UK where it came from originally, you know, and um, but it's going to uh, Russia, the But at any rate, um, yes. So uh, yeah, the Facebook viewers went up real fast. Yep, yep, yep. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we get a little. <laughs> Knock on the door, and uh, but at any rate, uh, yeah. So the, I will say this in short, and then we're gonna take we're gonna go to break. But the collector car market, oddly enough, throughout this whole COVID thing, in spite of the fact that people have not really gone to major auctions, I and mean, we went to mecums a couple months back, and um, but strangely enough, the collector car market has been strong throughout this whole 20, uh, COVID. Uh, eight months (laughs) scamdemic here and uh so it's just really surprising because i not only myself but i mean other people have gotten a lot of inquiries i mean i've done some extra appraisals and things of that nature for some vintage and classic cars and uh, but the market is definitely strong there's no question about that on the collector on the collector car side now on the parts side hmm, it's been a little soft but the car side is doing very very well so if you chart the market uh and if you read sports car market and some of the other publications and talk to some of the auction people it's been pretty good so on that note tommy's going to fire up the stereo then we're going to go to a, We're not? What are you going to He's shaking his head, no. You're going to fire up a commercial. Then oh, we're going to fire go. up a commercial. Is that what we're going to do? Then we're going to play a song. Then we're going to get our guests on the show. Something like that. On that order. Hey, you're tuning in to Nostalgia Radio Cars. Don't touch that dial. We'll be right back. A big shout out to all my friends tuning in. And uh, don't touch that dial. We'll be right back. <laughs>
2: than you know, Mr. Bond. What else do we know about this gentleman? Nothing much, except his name. Stay
1: right where you are.
2: Tell me, does the toppling of American missiles really compensate for having no hands? Doctor, no. (laughs) Missiles are only
1: the first step to prove our power. I'm a member of Spectre. Spectre? special executive for counterintelligence terrorism revenge extortion the four great cornerstones of power headed by the greatest brains in the world world domination same old dream you won't get away with it this time dr no Have the chance of a personal revenge for the killing of our operative doctor no because the man the british will almost certainly use on a mission of this sort would be james bond this is the big one 007
2: this damn thing could blow up into a full scale war. my government sees this as nothing less than a blatant attempt to gain complete control of space itself i am about to inaugurate a little war this organization does not tolerate failure Who puts that sort of scare into people? Allow me to introduce myself. I am Ernst Stavro Blofeld. We shall see a new power dominating the world. Ah, it's your specter against mine. Uh, bomb. Hello, this is Brian Johnson of ACDC and you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars.
0: Okay, we're back and it's time to introduce our special guests for the evening. This gentleman has been on our show before. I'm delighted to welcome him back. He's now an alumni guest. He's a former, I should say, and retired... Long-time guitar tech for uh, the legendary Eric Clapton. I'm delighted to welcome back Lee Dixon. Lee, how are you doing this evening?
2: Hey, Robert. How are you?
0: Pretty good. Now, I played the James Bond thing with Sean Connery a bit because you also are of Scottish descent. So I just I am, thought, yeah. I thought I'd thought throw that in there. And um,
2: I, I was listening to it and wondering why.
0: <laughs> yeah, now you know. See, there's always these correlations that I do. Whenever I do my show, they're kind of theme-based a little bit. So, you know... Um, something I might have picked up in the news, but usually you know, entertainment related. So, but I'm delighted I to welcome. I
2: just like I just like to say I'm not fully retired yet.
0: Oh. Okay. <laughs> Well, quasi. But anyway, so now you're here in the United States, and I know you were pursuing—you are a—we we, we, we had you on the last time a couple of weeks ago, and I was thrilled, but unfortunately we ran up against the clock. But this time I want to get you to talk a little bit more about now you're here in the United States. I know you have a real interest in um, country music a little bit and also in songwriting, so I kind of wanted to talk a little bit about that a little. So uh, share yeah. some songwriting stories and, and kind of where you, where you're at right now.
2: Well, the songwriting thing has been an ongoing passion for, uh, you know, wow, well, probably most of my life, really. Um, and uh, I've I've never really found the right person to kind of write with. You know, it's, it, you've got to find the right person. I'm looking for someone that's more technically proficient than I am, someone that's a good musician, uh, that would like my lyrics and things. It's mostly uh, lyrics and stuff that I write. And... Um, I was uh, drawn to country music when I I came over here because of where I am, my location in Kentucky, and Nashville's not far away, and there's really only Nashville, London, New York, L.A., you know, music centers uh, of the world. So I decided to dip my toe in the country waters, and it's been a very enjoyable experience.
0: Now, I was actually doing some research, um, but explain how does that basically work? So if you're, uh, let's just say looking to write songs so do you kind of like come up with the lyrics first or could it be the other way around because you're a musician you come up with a song first and then you kind of come up with lyrics i mean because some people are very good at writing like for example jimmy webb well-known um oh, songwriter yeah. here in the united states okay and i think he's in your area there someplace and in, uh in, yeah, in, really. And uh, so he wrote some very legendary songs for Glenn Campbell and people like that. Mac Davis was another mm-hmm. one. He wrote for uh, Elvis Presley, did a number of songs. Then uh, eventually they both went out on their own. Well, Jimmy didn't so much, but nonetheless. So when you say you have to te- team up with somebody, is that is that to get the songs kind of like where they're where you're to the point where you can kind of produce and record them together, the lyrics and the, the music together? Is that kind of is that the well, difficulty?
2: my thing I, I think primarily is always words you know because i'm a very kind of lyrical person and uh that's what generally inspires me sometimes i'll be messing around on the guitar and i'll, I'll come across a few chords and i think wow that's great and that'll inspire the words but i would say that 80 percent more of the time i'm uh, i'm writing words and, uh, and and then trying to find chords to put to it so when i'm lo- when i say i'm looking for someone to write with I mean, someone that, that's uh, very good with the modern sort of computer recording.
1: Okay. A guy
2: who's, uh, who's got one, you know, a great, you know, is a good musician and who is looking for a, a partner to add lyrics because a lot of great musicians, uh, they're great players and stuff, but the, their lyrics, are, they don't write songs, you know, they're not really into that. So I'm more of, a, more of the, the lyricist side of things, really. And as I said, looking for someone, I've come across a couple of great uh, people, my manager, uh, Will Kelly, he he and I were trying it, but uh, we just couldn't uh, get it together over you know over the, the the phone or over long distance. So I'm looking for someone in Kentucky, hopefully that uh, maybe someone that's just looking for a, got some great music and wants me to put words to it, or you know that kind of thing.
0: How far is uh, Louisville from which is where you're at, I believe, versus uh, Nashville? Was about three hours, something like that, by car.
2: Yeah, if you're going right internationally, you could say three hours, you know, generally when I go down there, it's know, about two and a half, okay. uh, you know, door to door kind of thing. Not too bad.
0: When you write your songs, what are the songs about? I mean, do they, is it a cross section or what typically, what's your themes?
2: Generally, uh, generally, I suppose of a personal nature or, or just something that comes into my head, a line that I'll hear or a line that, you know, that I'll be, I'll be writing and or I'll hear something on television, and it makes me think, "Wow!" And immediately, it's it's kind of like pressing a button, you know. All of a sudden, it comes pouring out, and then it stops for a while. So, so um, generally, most thought, most of the stuff I would write would probably, you know, be personal kind of stuff, you know, or uh, you know, love lost, or the trials of life, you know, that kind of thing. Experiences,
0: you know? okay. Yeah. Do you like, uh, you know, like like the old joke was Carol Shelby, for example when he was waking up in the middle of the night, he came up with a name Cobra, and he wrote it down, or he came up with GT350 or something like that. So do you, like, is it spontaneous with you? All of a sudden you a couple words pop into your mind or a phrase, and then you jot it down real quick, and then you come back, you know, a day or two or a week, whatever time-wise later, and then pick up where you left off?
2: That happens quite a lot, really. You know, uh, I, I could be, as I say, watching a television, reading a book or something, hear something just hear someone saying uh, something and it triggers something and all of a sudden uh, I start writing it down. Um, And the older I get, the more I have to write things down, believe me. (laughs) But uh, yeah, it's generally, uh, you know, always have a a paper and and a pencil or a pad to to write on the hand. And I've been going through the stuff, uh, one of the projects with all the layoffs with the COVID thing and I went through this mountain. I mean, mountains and mountains of pads, papers, napkins, hotel menus, you know, anything I could write on. Sometimes I'd be on a plane and I'd write it on a, a sick bag, you know, those bags they provide. <laughs> one, one great idea, I'm on the plane, I'm going, oh man, I... And I, had, I got a pen, you know, and the only paper was the, the bag and I wrote a few things on there. And you just got to keep them all and, and revisit them. And sometimes they'll you'll maybe half-finish something, I've got a lot of half-finished songs, and you'll find a trigger that takes you back to that, and you you then work on that. And uh, But as I said, primarily words. I've always been a word guy because I, I love people like, uh, you know, for their lyrics, I love people like Joni Mitchell and obviously Bob Dylan, you know, the the kind of great, great uh, songs and, and with a bit of surrealism thrown in there, you know.
0: What is your thoughts on, you know, because um, you've been around a long time, and obviously you did some stuff with uh, a guy by the name of Eric, I think, something like that. Eric Clapton? But at any rate, you yeah. um, uh, he, uh, he did a number of covers. What's your thoughts on musicians doing covers and then putting their own spin on it? I mean, like everybody's done probably one of the most famous ones all along the Watchtower. You know, I mean, Bob Dylan did it first. I think uh, Jimmy did a version of it. Dave Mason did a version of it, which I actually like pretty good. Um, and another other, a number of other artists have done it. What's your thoughts on that?
2: Well, when you have something that's as, that's as utterly complete and perfect as, as all along the Watchtower, you know, Dylan's version was blew me away when I heard it but then when I heard Jimmy doing it which he, I, I believe that Bob Dylan actually said it's now in the Jimmy song, his version you know, he blows mine away and uh, Jimmy's version of All Along the Watchtower is timeless, it's fierce it's dramatic, it's incredibly powerful you know and uh, he takes it in a totally different direction I don't think I've heard Dave Mason's version but as far as other artists doing covers, sometimes it works and Sometimes it doesn't. I mean, uh, everyone in the you know everyone in every genre of music I think has covered yesterday. You know, Paul oh. McCartney's thing and George Harrison's somewhere is another one that's been covered by you know some of the great singers like Frank Sinatra and people like that. Um, Eric did a few. You know, his his version of of uh, I Shot the Sheriff. Uh, you know, probably made more money for Bob Marley than Bob Marley's version. You know, because of the the exposure that it had and the different take on it. Um, so it's something that works for some people, and sometimes I've heard cover versions, and I think, oh no, you know, you shouldn't have bothered. But then again, we're all different in our musical taste. You know, some people find that great; something that I dislike, but they may not find great. You know,
0: let's talk about um, Eric. Um, he was good friends with JJ J. Cal. and JJ uh, J. Cal was a very humble kind of guy. Did some really cool songs. And of course, um, let's see, he did. Uh, uh, After Midnight was one of his songs, which, which uh, Eric did. And so, d- did you ever get a chance to meet JJ Cal?
2: Oh, yeah. I had the pleasure of uh, a few weeks in the studio with him and, you know, taking care of him and his guitars. You know, generally when we go to record, it starts out with, uh, you know, the basic musicians that, the, the, that Eric and the producer want to use on the track. And then other people will come in. You know, let's get so and so in here. Let's get John Mayer in, say, if you'll do a bit, let's get this guy in. And it kind of built, and and JJ and, and Eric were in the studio for quite a while together, and it was a wonderful experience. Um, he's, he's not, you know, he, I don't think he ever had the the aspirations to be a pop star, or I don't think it was about the money. And uh, and with, with Eric covering After Midnight, you know, that that kind of brought up uh, interest in him that a lot of people, you know, may not have uh, may not have discovered him until then. So uh, a very very nice guy, very very quiet guy, you know, and. No, no image attached just jj comes in and jj's jj you know and sadly no longer with us
0: now do you how did you because he did he wrote music as well as the songs as if i recall reading up on him a little bit so he was kind of like the the total package there a little bit wasn't he
2: well he had uh, a lot of musicians do have that you know they have the ability to just lock themselves away and come up with the the complete thing then they you know bring a drummer in, bring a bass player in, keyboard player whatever and jj was like that you know his his music was his own uh, and uh, a lot of a uh, lot of great guys from oklahoma and he was one of them and i come can talking about oklahoma you know eric's when i joined eric's uh organization initially all the band were from uh from oklahoma apart from one of the guys so eric's always had a, a strong tie with oklahoma and uh him
0: and J.J. were great, great friends. When, um, what, uh, in the 60s, in the late 50s and 60s, a lot of people say, a lot of musicians, obviously in, in England they did, and then here in the United States, because you look at someone like Jeff Beck and you look at, you know, Paige, Jimmy Page, and people like that, they were all influenced by blues musicians. And... Well, yeah. So, it, it is... And, and then, obviously, they got rock and roll. And you've heard this term, and this is a question that I've, I always want to kind of ask um, people in the industry a little bit. When they say a song is... Too commercial, not commercial enough, or original, or even in some cases they use the word organic, which they use nowadays. Which, But, I mean, what is your take on that? You know, like, for example, in the 80s, you know, when we had the the, the hair bands, a lot of that music sounded the same. It wasn't original, but when you look at, listen to the stuff out of the 60s, like Early Cream, for example, there was just three three band members. You know, the Yardbirds, only four. I mean, they didn't have huge bands. I mean, look at the doors, just three guys. I mean, three musicians, really, you know, and a singer. And yeah so but but a lot of it has kind of bluesy jazzy influence but then it kind of you know it in other words someone like eric has a has has a broad range he can play rock he can play blues he can play a little country Versus a lot of the songs that came out of the '80s were just strictly almost one after the other. Just sounded, you know, whether it was Motley Crue, Motley Crue, White Snake, or something like that. Great White, they all you know, they all sounded alike. And and
2: well, it's a, it's a, a successful format, and uh, and it was very popular, and you stuck to it. But also in the '80s, you know, with every generation, music changes. You know, it's it's just mm-hmm. it's one of those things that you you can't stop. It's like a big train that keeps rolling. And um, you know, each generation disses the music of the previous generation as the young people discover it and think it's their thing. You know, but an interesting point you made on the on the reference to the uh, the blues thing. There's a classic example of cover versions, because um, a, a great as great and spectacular and wonderful as as Muddy Water and and BB King and Albert King and Freddie King and and all those guys were, it wasn't. They didn't really achieve worldwide fame until the Rolling Stones, Eric, uh, the Yardbirds, people like that, Jimmy Page and, and Zeppelin using a lot of uh, you know uh, traditional arrangements. Uh, so that really opened up a whole new world to people who weren't really familiar with the older uh, blues guys that you had here in the States. So as I say, when, when all the, the those guys who were very popular at the time, the Stones especially, recording stuff like Chuck Berry, uh, and, and Muddy Waters and Howlin' Wolf and stuff. It was uh, it just opened up this whole new world. People that were listening to The Stones started buying the blues records because that's what The Stones listened to. Same with Eric. Eric always cites his influence, his main influence is Robert Johnson, Muddy Waters, um, guys like that, B.B. King especially. And uh, although those guys were all successful, I don't think they would have seen the worldwide success in the music if it hadn't been for those other artists covering the songs and, and sort of uh, publicizing them, so to speak.
0: When you write your songs, do you in your, in your mind so, kind of envision how you want, in other words, this is where I'm going with this, so do you want your, song, your lyrics associated with more of a bluesy type song, a rock and roll song? a bubble gum, we'll just throw that in there for, get, for good measure, uh, mm-hmm. you know, or, or or something that's more commercially, you know, familiar to people, you know, in terms of, like you said, arrangements and stuff like that. So what's your thought process there? Well,
2: the stuff that I've, I've written over the past sort of 10 or 12 years, if I had to categorize it, I would, it would lean towards indie. You know, I like the, the chord structures that they use. I like the uh, the form of that music. I wouldn't say... I've written any blues songs. I've written lots of love songs. I wouldn't say I've written any blues songs or any straight out rock and roll songs or any heavy songs, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, um, when I do, that's another thing, when I do uh, write, you know, I'm looking for, uh, I'm just feeling around on the guitar for, for chords that will, you know, uh, suit that song or, or the appeal to me that I can adapt the lyric to, you know, that the, 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 like the lyric would be, you know, lyrics one thing but it's just like reading a sheet of paper you don't know what the word and you know, how the song's going to sound if you're just a lyricist but if you have a few chords that just give it that something different that's what I'm looking for something different
0: when you write your songs and you and you're and you're playing around with the guitar are you on an acoustic or you use an electric guitar or what do you use
2: well I have very fortunate to have a, 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 an awful lot of guitars huh. uh, over, I've collected over the years um, and so I used to primarily go to acoustic. I go through phases, you know. Electric guitars are easier to play, and if I'm being lazy, you know, you plug an electric guitar into an amp and you can add some chorus, or you can add some reverb and some delay and and add to the mood of the the thing that you're trying to convey. So lately, I'd say over the past couple of years, my favorite instrument has been a very inexpensive Fender Jazzmaster, a guitar I had sitting around for a long time, never ever played it. Uh, I didn't know why I bought it. And then one night I pulled it out and it had the most amazing, the best neck of any guitar I've ever played, and uh, and the pickups were different. And when I plug it into my amp, as I say, writing now, you know, I'm looking for more help. So, just putting a little bit of reverb or some, you know, pitch shift on something or a bit of chorus really adds to the, the the warmth of the lyric or the or the the mood of the song.
0: When you um, when you when you like, for example. There are certain guitars that are associated with, like, if you look at a a Tele, for example, a Fender Telecaster, it's typically associated with with country. Um, I don't think it's got that twangy of a deal to it, but some people say it does. When you look at a real hard rock guitar, you think right away, immediately, of a Fender Stratocaster, and uh, obviously surf music, you think of a Jaguar, maybe a Fender Mustang, and Les Pauls are... I don't know, kind of like the universal guitar, in my opinion, you know, I mean, because they, they get the humbuckers in there, and people like that, and, um, but but what's your thought on, that, on, on, on 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 the type of guitars applicable for certain types of songs and, and music, I mean, but oddly enough, it's funny, because I was watching some early Jimmy Page videos, and he uses a Telecaster back in yeah, the day. Yeah,
2: a lot of the first uh, Zeppelin album, and I think some of the second of the Ze- uh, Zeppelin albums were, he was using a Telecaster. Um, it's funny, you know, Jimmy Jimmy switched to a Les Paul and, and has stuck with it forever. Uh, Eric and Jeff Beck were very famous for playing uh, Les Pauls until they discovered Stratocasters. And as much as I love Gibson guitars, if I had a favorite Gibson guitar, it would be between a 335 and the 330, which is the, you know, kind of like a 335, but without the center block, so more prone to feedback. Um, I, I, I have a few Les Pauls, nice ones. I have a couple of old ones couple of newer ones, but I've never really. Since I'm not a musician, as per se, you know, I I find the Stratocaster or the Jazzmaster something. That's another thing. Something with tremolo, you know. If I was, if I had a Les ball to pick, it would be one with a Bigsby on it, you know, because I just like that. That it helps me, you know. If, if you're not a great player, then all these things really <laughs> can help you, you know, just in the expression of the song.
0: What's your thoughts on vintage guitars? Because this is one. And I'm not a great guitarist. Okay, I just play. I like I said, I stay below the seven frets. I'm within uh, you know seven frets and up to the nut. And you uh, go that far up? Wow. <laughs> and well, I, once in a while a bar chord past that. I mean, I try some scales, you know. But I'm but I'm just just your basic kind of chord guy and a couple little 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 picking yeah. here and there. But it, but but that's my level and I'm comfortable with that. I need to practice more. That's my problem. But where I'm going with this is that it's, uh, like I have a couple of vintage guitars and it's something about the weight, the feel the sound, the sustain. There's something about the older guitars. I can't explain it. I don't know how, I, maybe because I'm just a vintage car guy and I like old, but the newer stuff, when you pick it up, it's cool, it feels techy and stuff like that, but it doesn't have the same feel. There's not, there's a, call it a, a guitar spirit, if you will. I mean, a guitar talks to you, It has a, it's like a car. You know, it just has a, something old has soul, where this new stuff just, it seems production. Does that make any sense?
2: Yes, it makes perfect sense, and and uh, you know, using the analogy of cars, um, you know, the, they're just like guitars. You know, the old ones, the specific old Ferraris and and Porsches and Bentleys and Rolls Royces and stuff like that, uh, are are worth a ton of money because there's just something about them. It's not necessarily, you know, they don't have all the modern uh, bells and whistles, but uh, you know, there's there's just there's something about that vintage thing. And I think it really applies. I mean, the, going back to Les Pauls, Les Pauls from especially 1959, 1958 uh, are just like the most valuable guitars. You know, they can exchange hands for three, four $400,000, you know, especially with a bit of provenance attached. You know, if it was Eric's or Joe Perry's or Joe Walsh's or something like that, one of the many guys. But um, the Strats definitely have something, the older Strats although me i prefer the 60s if i was to choose a vintage strut i would be looking at kind of 63 you know 60 yeah 63 62 around then um i've played a lot of the very early ones you know 54 55 56 and they're wonderful but unless you're a guitar player and can coax the magic out of those they're not re- they don't really do much for me and plus i love a lot of modern guitars but i also love the rickenbackers you know mm. and guild guitars you know uh, they all have their own personalities, uh, just like cars, really, I suppose. People swear by them, and other people swear by another brand or mark, if you like. Well, but, uh, yeah, they they have the magic, as you say.
0: Well, you mentioned the early 60s Strats, for example, and they're talking about the pickups, because whenever I, I, I listen to some of these videos, you hear a guy say, well, I've got a 60 pickup in the bridge, and I've got my middle pickup is uh, a Texas Special, and then my uh uh neck pickup is something else and it's and they and they reference 60s so is there that much of a difference in the sound between the 60s pickups and the 70s and 80s I mean obviously the technology is as we as we move forward is different but what is it about the 60s and the 70s for example and the 50s that's that makes those that gives it that sound difference besides the wood well,
2: I, I think it is tradition and uh you know Uh, Guys like uh, Stephen Stills, who's a wonderful guitar player, renowned for, obviously, his voice and Crosby, Stills and Nash, but he is a a, a big vintage guy. And you go and see a show and Stephen will only play, you know, vintage guitars only. You know, he won't go to something else. Maybe he'll use maybe an acoustic that's not more than 50 years old or something. (laughs) But uh, as far as electrics, he's very old school. And as I say, I've played, had the opportunity and, and the, the luxury, I must say, of of, uh, of playing some '50s guitars, and they're great. But you know, no one knew that the Stratocaster was going to still be around today, or the Telecaster. And those those guys were making them pretty much by hand. You know, you would get you can look at four or five different '50s Strats, and although they're supposed to be made to the same spec, each builder would have put his own spin on the neck. You know, and it's measured in thousands of an inch. It's a feel thing, really. And some people love those necks. You know, those big heavy B necks on the on the uh, fifty strats. Other people prefer the sixty strats because a lot of them were rosewood boards, and the pickups were slightly different. And and they have a sort of a sparkle or a jangle. Um, again, the pickups in those days, you know, you know, using a machine, but they were all wound by hand. So. You know, they don't have the uniformity that modern guitars have, which are wound to 3,000 turns, 4,000 turns on this one, and every single pickup that they make has exactly the same output, homage-wise. So it's uh, it's a lot to do with the pickups, and it's a lot to do with the wood. You know, the, a lot of that, that ash and uh, stuff that they made a lot of the strats and tellies from was old then, you know, and that's something you can't really do, you can't age wood, you've just got to let it take its course, and if you buy it to build a guitar, you know, go through the motions, you know, do, allow it to breathe, allow it to mature, before you start messing with it.
0: What is your, um, I remember when I picked up my uh, Strat, The guy that I bought it from was kind of a musician, not really a great musician, but he was kind of a guitar guy, and he was pointing out, he says, the one thing that I thought that's interesting about this guitar, and it's a hardtail, by the way, he says, this is a, uh, the neck pocket is extremely tight, and he says, this guitar for some, and it's got, actually, somebody put EMG electric uh, pickups in it, they took out the original Stratocaster pickups, and uh, and it's got a brass nut and a brass bridge, and... uh, yeah it's kind of cool and it just has a really cool sound it's a maple neck it's a actually look it's a copy of david gilmore's guitar exactly except i changed the uh the knobs because i didn't like the white knobs and if i could it's got white pickups in it but other than that it looks like his so it's a black guitar black strap with a with a maple neck and it's just a beautifully sounding guitar just has a and it's, it's heavy it's eight pounds and two ounces i mean it's not a light guitar. And it's
2: uh, heavy, strat. Yeah. It is.
0: And uh, like I said, it's a hard tail, see, but it just has a great sound to it. And I was looking for a strat with a vibrato, obviously, you know, your typical fender. And uh, but this one played so nice and it has really, really low action. And I have small hands, and the neck just it has a real nice feel to it, and it's it's actually my favorite guitar. And I have a fender Mustang also, and I had it kind of tweaked a little bit. And uh, but the strat's just got a it's got a feel to it. I can't explain it.
2: It's a, it, well. Guitars are a feel thing. Uh, through the years, I've had many, many people approach me. Generally, uh, friends with children, and they go, hey, "You know, he wants a guitar. What should I get him?" You know, and I said, "Well, there's something you can't really pick for someone. Uh, it's a feel thing. So take take out always advise people to go and try as many as they can. And the first thing is is the feel because that's the that, that thing in your left hand. If, you're, if your left hand's not comfortable, then it's it's not going to be a good buy. And your guitar is very—you uh, know—it's been modified a lot, and it sounds—you know—brass nut. I wasn't a big fan of brass hardware, brass nuts, and things like that, but um, it, it's perfect for you, and that's—that's—that's that's, that's what guitars are like. You know, you can walk in, and someone could go, "Look at this man! This is the late. This this thing is amazing!" And you pick it up, and you think it's like women. You know, I could say to you, "Look at that girl over there! Isn't she stunning?" And you'd go, "Man, you need glasses." <laughs> you know. Uh, the, the old adage, one man's meat is another man's poison applies. So, you know, that's the first thing is the feel of a guitar. You know, before you pick it up, before you play it, before, you know, the electric guitar, before you plug them in, if it, if it feels good and sounds good acoustically, then it's pretty much going to be a good guitar. You well, know, it, sounds, it sounds good unplugged
0: yeah and what's interesting about this particular one the modifications that were done to it were all period correct mods these were all done in the late 70s early 80s so they're all correct mods and that's what makes the guitar kind of unique too it's not like somebody put late model stuff in it still has all period correct vintage stuff and while we're on the subject of, of, of uh, pickups and, and things of that nature I understand I was reading somewhere and that, or listening to a video but you have your own line of uh, guitar accessories tell us a little bit about that
2: well researched, well researched, my boy. Uh, well, what I did, uh, I, when I came over here, um, I do some public speaking. You know, I go and talk to, sometimes it's a room full of businessmen and they just want someone different. They want to hear the stories. But I've done a couple of things where I'm taught, you know, I go to guitar shows and maybe I'll talk to 200 people in a room. And I was doing some work for a company called Mojo Tone from up in North Carolina. And uh, they hired me as a speaker. And the guy we were talking, and he said, "Would you be interested in, in maybe doing a pickup line?" And I said, "Yeah, it sounds cool, you know so I talked to his pickup guy and and again it's it's a hard thing to get over the technical things. He said, "How do you want them to sound and uh, and I said to him well take a take like a look at the pickups in the '63 straps and and that ca- kind of, I wanted to have that kind of jangle that that quality uh about them." Uh, they asked me, you know, obviously about Eric's old guitars, and uh, they wanted to, you know, uh, would I be interested in doing something like that? And we tried to sort of cover that base too. You know, what I interpreted Blackie sound or Brownie sound, in my ears, how they interpret it. And so I've got this little line of pickups at Mojotone, and we sell a few each year, and it's uh, it's gone pretty well. They wanted me to expand on it, but, um, you know it wasn't something that interested me all that much uh, because I, I mean, when pickups come in a guitar, a lot of people are very, very interchanging them right away. I've got got to mod this guitar. I've got I've got to have this pickup in here, like you said. I've got to have a Texas Special in the middle, but I've got to have whatever whatever the Clapton model is in the neck, you know. And then I want the, a kind of a, like a 50 sound in the bridge, and that's the beauty of it. You can tailor a guitar, especially a Strat. It's easy, you know, to to however you want it to sound. I've always taken them. I've never really modified any of my guitars because I've taken them as they come and, and adapted to them or sold them, you know. Um, so that's the way I, I feel about it. But there is a there is a magic to the old pickups, the wire, the magnets, the, how they were wound. And this especially applies to the, the patent applied for PAF pickups that you hear people talking about that, that uh, Gibson put on the guitars up until, I think, the early 60s. And they're they're the holy grail, and no you know, people have tried everyone. There's hundreds of pickup manufacturers, great guys like Seymour Duncan, uh, a couple, uh, bare Knuckles. I could I think of a million, and they all try to duplicate that magnet, those bobbins, that winding, to get that that sound. But there's something about the the age does something to them too, and the and the wood that they're they're sitting in does does something to them. Um, it's a very. It, it, some musicians can't tell, and other musicians can in the heartbeat, you know, like that. Joe Bonamassa, Eric Johnson, people like that. They'll go, oh, man, this is this has got this. Uh, this sounds like my sixty Les Paul, and some people have been successful in emulating those. But it's hard. It's a hard thing to do. Of it.
0: What if you had to guess some of the, the the musicians that you've you've met over the years? How many of them are really? Um, Guitar nuts, where they actually get in there and they're real particular about, you know, their guitars from a collector standpoint, from a tweaking standpoint. I think we mentioned Jeff Beck last time. You were saying that he's always messing around with his guitars, trying this, trying that.
2: Um, I, I don't know what uh, pickups Jeff uses, to be honest. I mean, I've, I've, a couple of his g- guitar techs have been friends of mine through the years. And the guy you were talking about earlier, your black guitar, David Gilmore, his, his guitar tech, uh, Phil Taylor, and I have been pals for like forever. Um, some musicians, as I say, are very. Uh, I, I, I was talked to, someone talked to me about a gig with Brad Paisley, for instance, uh, when I was first going down to Nashville, and I thought, wow, he's a great player and everything, but I spoke to his guitar tech, and he said it, it's like a, a hard job because he's constantly wanting to try this, pick up in the air, change that out to this, let's try this amp, always evolving, you're know, always changing. Other people get to. Something uh, set up and they stick with it, and and the Claptons and the and the Becks and the Pages and, and the guys that we all know the big uh, the iconic guys, um, they are. I mean, I, I've seen Eric go just pick someone guest with someone. Someone hands him a strap with a uh, with humbuckers in it or something, and he's playing through an amp he's totally unfamiliar with, and he always sounds like him. You know, same with Jeff. You know, it's him. You know, it's Eric. You know, it's Jeff. And, and they have that, we talked about this the last time, that kind of that magic that uh, it's something you can't really be taught. It's something you have uh, that you apply to what you've learned with the guitar. You know, that thing of the correlation between heart, hands, and mind comes into play, and that's why they have that sound. So through the years, I've had tons of guys going, I've got to have the same setup as Eric, and what's his volume, and how does, how's his setting, and how does he set the Leslie when he uses the Leslie? And I give them all the information, but you know, they'll come back and say, man, it doesn't sound like Eric. And I said, well, that's because you're not Eric. You know." <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that's really wh- wh- the, where it lies. It's, it's in the player. Um, and so a, a great player can take pretty much any guitar that's playable and an amp and stand in with someone and, and sound like themselves because it's that magic that comes into the, that fourth dimension of the other three, you know, the her- head, hands, heart, and that
0: special magic that gives you your own sound and makes you totally unique. Uh, you, you you mentioned we got a couple of minutes left. Um, we we're talking earlier about Jimi Hendrix and about that sound. So you know when when Jimi Hendrix plays uh, all on the Watchtower, and then you take someone like or Purple Haze, and then you get someone like Buddy Guy, who's well known and just an amazing blues musician himself. But he is he probably out of anybody I've heard covers Jimi the best and he does it and he just makes his strat sound like jimmy's strat he's just got that technique and that art
2: well i was irreverent earlier i should have mentioned buddy guy because he is a massive influence again on eric uh on 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 most of those guys because they were all upcoming guitar players and then you start hearing guys like hubert sumlin and uh and and buddy guy and buddy to this day is just a fierce fierce player he's just he's got the magic He's just got the magic, you know, and, and when he, he, Buddy picks up a strat, it doesn't look as if he's doing a lot, but when you listen to it, you're like, oh, my gosh, you know, it's just incredible. And he's still doing it to this, this day, and I think in, in his early 80s or, or, or something, I, I, I couldn't be sure of his age. But I had the pleasure of working with him several times, and uh, he's spectacular. And the thing uh, Buddy, the stories that Buddy and BB used to tell where like in the old days they were showmen you know you have a great guitar player but you had to go up there and blow him away the next guy you had to just blow him away you know tear him apart that was just the, the competitive nature of the of the thing at the time and uh, and Buddy was a hard man to follow for most of those guys you know <laughs> he was just he just got it in spades he's a spectacular player he's fierce you know he has that that thing you know that special thing sometimes it can just be a, a bit of vibrato on your fingers or the way you attack the strings but uh, Buddy's got
0: it and always has had it. Well, Lee, I want to thank you very much. We are up against the clock again, but you know what? You're such a pleasure to have on the show. We're definitely going to have to do this more often. And well, that's uh, very,
2: very kind of you. Thank you very much, Robert. I mean. In- We've, as I said from the first time we did it, I've got a, a wealth of stuff that I'm looking at right now and we didn't even touch it tonight. <laughs> but it's so, uh, you know, the past two times it's been very, very interesting and it, it, it provokes my memory to bring back things and it makes me think about things that uh, I don't normally think about. So it's been a, an absolute pleasure.
0: Well, we are definitely going to have you on again, and, uh, and, and I wish you all the best with everything that you're working on in your endeavors and, uh, you know, with your songwriting and, and your little gadgets that you're uh, working on and things of that nature. And uh, if you ever get the floor to visit your uh, brother-in-law here, um, definitely give us a call because we're not that far away.
2: Never mind, my brother-in-law.
0: I'll be coming straight to see you. You owe me a few pints. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Aye, aye. We'll, we'll be like a couple of hooligans, eh? <laughs> uh, not quite, but we'll have a drink together. That's
2: again.
0: that sounds good. I'd love to do that. That over a pizza or something like that, or maybe some corned beef hash. I guess I'm not sure. I, I. You know, it's funny because I'm, am I'm, I'm pizza. There you go. On my side, they're all German, Austrian, but on my wife's side, they're Irish, and Scottish. And my son's middle oh. name is Ian. Yes, because of Ian Fleming, who was also, I believe. Uh, which,
2: which brings us back to the start of the show and the James Bond connection, Ian Fleming wrote
0: them. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Well, Lee, thank you again. Have a, uh, a great Thanksgiving. All right. It's next week.
2: You too, brother. My pleasure. And I uh, hope all your listeners enjoyed it as much as I did.
0: I'm sure they did. Thank you very much. You, you take care. Bye-bye. God bless. Yes, you too. Um, I want to thank all my listeners for tuning into to Nostalgia We're Getting Cars. Don't forget, every Tuesday night here on the Talk Radio Network for the most... Fascinating and legendary names in motorsports and music. We are going to focus on music quite a bit. we got a very special guest coming up uh, next week, and we got a couple more special guests, musicians, in the future. So we've got some real treats for you guys. Don't forget to tell your friends. Follow us on social media. Bobby, you want to say anything? Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and all the other major platforms. Yes. Tommy, thank you very much. In the meantime, everybody, stay safe, drive carefully, and love your family.
1: Day to day, out.